0: Welcome to Conversations about Life.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, I just started That's talking. Okay. Uh, but things like that interest me. And like Thomas Sowell today, um, there's one book I want to get. It's uh, I forget the title of it, but it's on intellectuals. But the one book that he was talking about, and Peter Robinson was kind of asking him questions about, was called um, "Wealth, Poverty, and Politics." And he kind of goes into details about even in today's world on economics, the misconceptions on slavery, things like that, on how wealth has been distributed and and how we have a misconception of it, where you know we blame things that. Just aren't true. And he kind of debunks a lot of that. And he goes through it and talks about it. And he offers empirical evidence and things like that. He, you know, he, he's an economist. So, but uh, Peter Robinson? Well, Thomas Sowell. Uh, okay. Peter Robinson was the uh, interviewer. Thomas yeah. Sowell was the one he was asking him the questions. It, it's, He's got several. Of them. The one interview I was watching this morning, I think I'd seen before, it'd been a while, but it's a really interesting interview. So, and he asked okay.
0: it. So I, <clears throat> I think I've, um, heard of steve yeah i think i've heard of thomas Sowell. and is he an african-american fella yes okay. sir and he's wrote he's kind of leans conservative and writes yes. on um you know issues of like uh, black relations and economic stuff and things like that
1: he does but one of the things is is he, when you we talk about black, that's not his, he, uh, he does obviously cause he's an African American and he debunks all that, but his primary, w- when he's debunking all that, he goes into, he gets into the kind of the meet and greet of the nitty gritty of economics. Okay. Uh, kind of like uh, Milton Freeman. And, and like I said, they all know, like Milton Freeman was one of his mentors uh, among, not his only one among others, but Milton Freeman talks about a lot of things. And like when, that day I was talking to you in the Sunday and you're asking, I'm not a a philosopher or anything, but there's, there is a lot of philosophy in that too. And some of the things that they, they go hand in hand and some of the sayings they get, it's kind of interesting when you read it and uh, what they talk about. Like uh, there was one uh, because Thomas Sowell was talking about Milton Freeman a little bit. He, uh, when he was given the, uh, doing the interview with Peter Robinson He's talking about government and things like that because there was a saying by Milton Freeman, and I even remember it if the you put in government in charge of the Sahara Desert, there'd be a shortage of sand <laughs> just because of the way they do that, you know.
0: Okay. So any, anyway, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Oh, so my I, I guest, appreciate you having me.
0: My guest is um Jason. Is it Hayden?
1: Yes, sir. You got, you got it. Will.
0: Okay. And we met at the gym. Yes, sir. And uh do you have an interest in Economics and more kind of like from the philosophical viewpoint of it and so forth, right?
1: Yeah, well the way it was the way it was put in the and the my three I mentioned two of them, which was Milton Freeman, Thomas sowell, and Walter Williams. He's another I economy, mean, he's African American. He passed away last December, actually. But those were my three favorite. I've read others as well, uh Frederick Hayek and things like that. But those are probably my favorite ones that I love to Watch or read on, you know.
0: Okay, and I've heard of Milton Fried, Friedman. Is it Friedman? Uh, Friedman. Yes, sir. Friedman. Okay, and um, and then he advocated um, free market type of stuff a whole lot, right? Yes, sir. And he was kind of like a big promoter. Like he was very influential um, in um, like throughout the 1900s, especially the earlier mid to earlier parts, or something like that. Is that right? Even
1: today, like okay. um, I don't know if you've ever heard of another person I like to watch a reporter John um, uh, John Stossel. I learned a little bit on Freeman. He did a show. One thing that Freeman was actually influential on, some things, you know, just little tidbits, is like, you know, how we had to draft in the past. He was actually influential in getting rid of the draft and things like that through market economies and different things like that. He had, you know, conversations and he was influential in the Nixon administration and the Reagan administration. He wasn't necessarily an official advisor, but he kind of gave advice and they followed him. And even uh, Margaret Thatcher and both Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, this was a tidbit I I remember learning. She actually had cabinet members. They all were uh, told they had to at least read one book by Milton Friedman and understand it. I thought that was interesting. Yeah.
0: So how did you get interest in, interested in economics?
1: Um, well, I was a business major in college. I, I graduated okay. with a, a degree in business administration, but I wasn't necessarily interested in economics. It wasn't through college. I actually stumbled across a video of Milton Friedman. Somebody had put up on YouTube. It was some years back, the first one, and it caught my attention. They were talking about drugs, you know, it was weird. And he was actually advocating, he wasn't, advocating for drugs he was talking about uh the drug war and why it was actually kind of a corrupt thing and it shouldn't you know drugs shouldn't be um an illegal thing and one of the things he was kind of using an example of an empirical and he was going through was uh i remember was uh, like prohibition and you're kind of putting your, uh, what you think is right over somebody else, uh, the choice on markets or things like that. You kind of saw the same thing with prohibition. When people were, you know, back in the day you had the war on alcohol and things like that, people would still do it, but the uh, government wound up kind of criminalizing people and you kind of wound up making people uh, that are criminals that would be just normal average, average everyday citizens and you gave rise to uh, black markets for, you know, obviously, um, organized crime or today you'd have the drug cartel, which the government actually, if you think about it, that helps them, uh, through kind of strangling the, out their competition and, you know, helping their prices and things like that by what they do. So, yeah.
0: I, the last guest that I recorded a conversation with, he describes himself as an anarchist. So I didn't know that. And, um, until kind of later in the conversation and that mm-hmm. came up. And so I guess that's, um, kind of a, uh, governmental economic viewpoint too. Do you know much about that? F- you know, from that philosophy of things, anarchists?
1: I, I do. I would describe myself not as an anarchist. Uh, I would go with what Milton Friedman said, because there is a role for government. H- however, the way I, and, and I agree with them. That's why they're my influences. Uh, Government's three roles are, are national defense, security for us. It's supposed to protect us. Um, things like, you know, making sure you're not uh, robbed or, you know, uh, you know, rape or murder, you know, things like that. They are supposed to, you know, protection. And uh, the third thing is like courts as far as settling disputes with contracts and things you know i'm breaking this down basically obviously you you can get more into that but those are the three anytime you put other things which government oversteps in doing when you're trying to set up regulations and things like that a lot of times and it might even be good intentions like even let's say going back to the drug war i have no doubt that people have good intentions they don't want you to to do something like that but you're you're creating unintended consequences and you're creating havoc that you don't realize. So anarchists that now I can't speak for all anarchists, but the way I've come to understand it and I've listened to it cause I was like, in some ways it can make sense. But without that, that government to give that stability where I look at it for you, you wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't feel safe if I didn't, if we weren't able to, to go out and have something protecting that market, uh, kind of like that. St- that little bit of security blanket. Now I would agree with anarchists in a lot of way, the government oversteps, but I don't want to necessarily get rid of it. I mean, it's, I don't want to say necessary evil. It's just, you've got to pull all that other stuff away and we really just overgrow it. So is it, do you lean more toward like a libertarian type of viewpoint? I I do. I consider myself a conservative libertarian. Uh, Obviously the libertarians don't have as, there's a few things I might disagree with libertarians on. But for the most part, I would be more libertarian, but I do call myself like a conservative libertarian. So. Yeah.
0: And then how, um, so in one way, this all seems kind of like, you know, philosophical ideas and stuff like that, but I guess it matters because we're all supposed to play a part in government, and if if nothing else, and just voting and so forth. So is that the main reason why this is important to think about and um, know?
1: is well, the way I, I see it and the way I've kind of learned from Freeman all that, there's, there are certain things you want government to do, but the smaller the government, special local government, those are even better, you know, like state is probably a little bit better than federal, but then you get down to your city and then even your municipality, you have a little bit more control. Like if you're having a, uh, let's say you've got a little, Uh, mayor or a little set up here committee for your subdivision yeah we do okay so you have a little more say into talking to those representatives that are closer as opposed to do you know what we got josh hawley and uh was it roy Blunt as our senators here Mm -hmm. they don't know any of yeah i could probably send a email or a letter but they're not gonna and, and i get it they've got a lot of people to look at but i don't want them to make a lot of like, I don't want them in, in making my normal decisions in life or that affect those. And I, I don't think most people do if they really think about it. Do you really want somebody that doesn't know, even if they're from that same state, they're probably not even from the same area. There's, there's so much different even within the areas, even look in St. Louis, some of the cultures around the area are different. So you really want somebody from somewhere else making those decisions or in DC or things like that. It's just. Yeah. Well, how
0: are you involved in government
1: i i'm not i just have an interest in it okay. um now it is my brother-in-law actually ran for um a school board they got in you know because my niece and nephew are both, both going to school they go to the c6 c6 district he he lost but it was uh interesting to kind of watch and um he ran as a for a school board membership and it's it's not a paid position i didn't know anything about it. i was just learning kind of talking to him and i gave him a donation and i was talking to him But it was kind of interesting to learn the politics and that, and even some of what I learned. Uh, For example, uh, one thing I thought was interesting, I've I've talked with my mom on this because we just have fun conversations, something I learned from Milton Friedman, uh, which going into national politics, uh, Trump was talking about school choice. School choice was the voucher system. Milton Friedman was the one that actually came up with the idea back in the fifties, I believe it was, and he got the idea actually from the GI Bill, where when uh, the the GIs and thing would get out and they could use that bill to decide where they wanted to go to school and things like that, because it's market choice and things like that. And he was coming up with the idea. Well, if you at least give these vouchers to, especially. inner city or urban or or poor kids, things like that, because it's not necessarily just them. They can decide what schools are best, but the ones that kind of stood in the way, and this ties back even when Travis ran, are teachers unions a bit. They really get involved, and the reason why, and and it's not against teachers, I'm talking about the unions themselves, they have a monopoly on the school system. So uh, to kind of break this down, for example, if you're going to buy a car, you if you don't like what cars here you can go to St Charles or St Peters or you know wherever you're not stuck in this area if you have kids and you live in this unless you are wealthy and can just send your kids to a private school here uh, you'd have to send them like Windsor you, whether you like the school district or not and that tax money goes where those kids are no matter how much money goes in with the idea with the voucher system was that money is attached to the parents and the kids and they can decide, I really don't like this. And it kind of gives you that choice of where to go. Well, with the idea of charter schools or, you know, I want to take them like my child over to this school or that. And then it makes those uh, teachers have to compete in those school districts. Like, okay, they don't like this, system. Just like if you're a consumer and you're going somewhere, like I said, to buy a car, if you're going, I don't like McDonald's, I'm going to go to Subway or whatever, you kind of can judge that product where if you don't have that, you're kind of stuck in those positions.
0: You know, I've kind of thought that the community college model was maybe um, a neat idea that, you know, if it was applied to high school and so forth, because having um, a good school in an area, it does benefit businesses and the and people so it makes sense that some tax dollars might be able to go to it and that might make tuition less expensive but um also the people who are going you know they're paying their part too so yeah. they have like an in, incentive um to choose the best school and so forth and uh, especially if there was more choices which there there are kind of I mean we just have one community college in our area but Anyway, it's kind of, instead of it solely being ran on tax dollars, it's helped along by tax dollars, but then the people who are benefiting from it, they're paying into it, you know, but it's more affordable. Sure. And uh, anyway, it's just kind of interesting
1: idea. Well, and even going on that, the voucher system doesn't take away, it's still tax dollars because those Mm -hmm. tax dollars are part of that voucher. It's just creating that competition among those schools that right. a way they have to if you notice uh i it might have been thomas Silwell because he talked about this too uh the school districts i think are, have been shrinking we've had less and less and they're just getting larger and larger And now you've got the uh, department of education which didn't always exist i think that came under carter the administration as a Nixon or car i want to say carter who's the one and it's just funneled more and more money there and it's become public schools are really that's why they call them government schools now and you're not getting the the well and this is nationally local everything else test score we're, we're throwing more money at it and test scores are actually going down your product's getting worse if you think about it so would you keep buying something, if it wasn't, would you keep buying something if the product or the, you know, if food was getting worse or the vehicle, you would probably go somewhere else. I I would, but, Mm -hmm. you know, same thing if I'm looking at that, I'm like, okay, this is getting worse. So, you know, let me choose something else. So,
0: you know, when it comes to like these ideas, like the, these influential people Mm -hmm. and, um, when I listen to you or, from people like this, Mm -hmm. um, these people. You know, it it just seems like solid ideas that make sense. So what um, gets in the way, um, you know, from things being implemented and things, you know, why don't everyone just get on board and this becomes the way we do things?
1: Well, uh, one thing I just mentioned was teachers' unions. The reason why they get in the way of that, though, too, is that money kind of gets funneled to them. They don't have to compete. Uh, Another way you look at it, uh, a a great example I would think about, uh, uh, Friedman was always kind of against licensure and things like that. And the reason why, uh, Stossel, I I love watching him. He did one breakdown. I remember watching about it. Stossel uh, funnels competition down. So let's say I'm making... Not to pick on companies, we'll just do an imagine. I'm making all these, I come mm-hmm. up with the idea and I start making all these widgets or something like that. Uh, and I I do a really good job and like people get onto it while other competitors start getting in. Well, my idea is, well, I'm going to go talk to my representative and hey, and a lot of times they'll do it in the name of safety or things like that mm-hmm. and it starts fun in the competition. Well, now you've got to pay a license to get, oh, one good example is your. Uh, department of transportation you see trucks and all that some of those licenses for those truck drivers are, are not I'm not talking about the cdl even though that's expensive to get those numbers and all that those are hundreds of thousands of dollars people just own licenses don't even have they just sell those licenses out well that limits numbers of trucks mm-hmm. things like that i think it was back in the 30s uh friedman was talking about that the reason why that came out was the railroads they were having competition from uh motor vehicles were new then but you started to have trucks that could compete against them and get things around you know, faster. So that's a way to funnel and bring that competition down, and you've got less people that are willing to get into the market and, and do things like that. But you can kind of see um,
0: their point, too, um, that i guess they're the vehicles they get the license but they have to be inspected to make sure they're safe or something like that
1: well like i said they're going to do this uh here's another good example i'm, I'm an uber lyft driver well before yeah. uber lyft walter williams talked about this because he was actually a cab driver before he became a, a famous economist back in the day uh, i think he was born in the 30s it was 40s 50s whatever it was i forget exactly uh you could just put taxi. Well, all of a sudden they started coming out with, especially in like New York, I think he was from Philadelphia or whatever, these medallions where you had to buy this licensure. Some of those, before Uber and Lyft came out, were up to $500,000 to own one of those licenses. So it mm-hmm. funneled it down. They used the name of, and, and you still, I watched Dossel, he actually went, you still had them talking about the name of safety and it's, they'll use that, mm-hmm. kind of what you said, get behind that and they funnel out the competition and people, well, they're doing it but if you look hard at it, I can't just come out and say I want a license because, you know, they're, they're cutting in on my market. They're not going to come out and say things like that. Or or sometimes people think do-gooders. I think it was, um, I I forgot the gentleman's name. Milton Freeman was talking. Oh, Ralph Nader. He kind of came out against the Corvette and things like that. And he was talking about all these safety protocols and, uh, even Thomas Sowell was kind of talking about that. And he goes, yeah, there was all these problems, but, every vehicle has problems he goes but they were safer in other ways and he goes all of it was knocked down like years later <laughs> they found, you know after he wrote his book now there are do-gooders like he probably had good intentions some people but then you have other people that kind of come in and they don't realize or we don't think about some of that or it fit their narrative in that way but you really have to look at a lot of that and we don't realize and, and most of the time the people that are in those markets, we don't think about it as like, oh, yeah, because I'm not an expert on that. Yeah, they're, they're probably right on safety and things like that. So if I'm a plumber and I'm going to the government, well, I want to get this regulation here. And it's and most people are thinking, well, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. But ulterior motive along with that is I'm also funneled that market down and taking out some of my competition. Right. So you can...
0: It almost seems like a conflict of interest. On one hand, you, you can kind of see, um, for example, regulations, when our home was made in the 70s, mm-hmm. regulations were um, a lot lower than they are for modern homes. Sure. So, you know, it's and there's different things about our home here, the electricity and so forth, that is... Um, just not very desirable, you know, (laughs) the circuits are underpowered. I mean, um, they use thin, um, wiring, so I can't hardly add any more outlets to the garage. Um, or it'll trip a breaker for the micro when the microwave gets turned on at the same time. So, you know, stuff like that. And, um, the way that the, you know, like all the bathroom vents that just goes, a pipe goes right up into the attic on the homes around here, Mm -hmm. rather than going up through the roof. And then the roof, the plywood on the roof is made really thin. So a lot of people have replaced their plywood on the roof because the houses in the subdivision were just kind of cheap. So I guess in a free market, you know, you do kind of live and learn and you just realize, well, these are cheap houses and, you know, you pay more for something else. But then, but it does kind of make sense that, you know, regulations are, you know, they can be helpful for like um, someone... They have to kind of know what they're doing if they're going to come and work on your house or well, do something. You know?
1: I, I do agree with that to, to an extent. I don't want to completely, because there, there are some places mm-hmm. for it. And even Freeman would talk about it, but I think we have the tendency to overregulate mm-hmm. quite a bit. But a, a lot of times when you're looking at, at it, though, too, like one thing I learned. Uh, there's a gentleman I was talking to uh, when I was in the Army back in the day. I, I really, well, He kind of taught me a lot. It was things I didn't think about. He goes, think about this. He had taught me. I was working on a deck with him. My last duty session was at Fort Sill. But we got in a conversation about, uh, like, if you had somebody come into your house, let's say if they were doing, like, construction or something, and if you had a guy pull up in a truck in the back look like Sanford and son or something. And another guy was more professional as a consumer. I'm kind of looking at, and I'm making a choice Mm -hmm. like, well, this guy, you know, so I'm not down in regulation, but also I I do want them out of, let me kind of decide and make my own decisions on this though, too, because Mm -hmm. I may like, you know, who this person is as as far as building or things like that. And I'll trust them and things like that. And, um, one of the things I kind of look at is with licensure when he talked about it, Friedman and I don't want to go a whole lot into it. Cause I'm not the best person to explain it. There was a book I was reading by him. He really gets into it better, but one good example, he was talking about licensure with medical. He was actually against medical licensing at first. I was like on the face. I know it sounds ridiculous, but he mm-hmm. got into it, but he even kind of talked about one, good example. He goes, doctors, he goes, just because a man is licensed, he may have not, Practiced it for 20 something years or, you know, he can have malpractice or he may go back and take that little tip, but that doesn't mean anything. He, his education may have been a while back and he just keeps that license up. And you've seen malpractice just because somebody's license doesn't mean that they're good. I would look at the education and education is different than licensing. Uh, so if I'm deciding, let's we'll say with the doctor, I don't care if you're licensed, but If you tell me you went to Harvard University, now, if you didn't, that's fraud. To me, I don't need a regulation. I'm like, the government should go after him. He said he was from there, and he's not, obviously. Mm -hmm. So there is a a difference, though. But if you told me you're not, and then I decided to go ahead and take a chance, that's kind of on me. I'm like, well, you seem like you're not. Most people probably wouldn't do that. But, you know, I I think people are smarter than we give them credit for sometimes, though, is, is, Mm -hmm. I guess, my point on that. but. Right.
0: Especially if they knew it was their responsibility to figure things out and get referrals, make good decisions and stuff like that.
1: Sure. Well, and uh, there was one thing I, I had thought about uh, a little bit on the economic philosophy, the thing I learned from Milton Freeman, and this kind of applies in everything I do, there's, there's four ways you spend money. Uh, from the best to the worst way and he described them in a real simple way the, the first way you spend money is you have your own money and budget and whatever you buy like like your hat or your clothes or different things like that you're on a budget and you're going to get the best value that mm-hmm. you can because you're, you're shopping for yourself the second way it's not necessarily bad but let's say you're buying a birthday present for your wife or one of your kids or things like that you're on a budget and I'm not saying you're going to get something bad but it's not like buying for yourself so it's not as much value mm-hmm. The third way, let's say, if your boss was to take you out to lunch and he says, it's on me, well, you're going to get the best value, you know, steak laps or whatever it is you like, or if you're into pasta, you know, chicken ravioli, whatever it is, you're not worried about the cost. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And the fourth way you spend money, and this is the worst way, um, is you spend somebody else's money on somebody else. And some of the examples we were talking about schools, public schools, uh, DMV, a lot of times it's easy to point at government, um, facilities and things like that they're not most people i'll ask them well did you have a, a pleasant experience at the dmv or anything like that as opposed to going to walmart or you know something like that it's it's totally different you know i mean the service things like that but
0: so how do you feel about the way things are going in our government um, we've been kind of more free market you mm-hmm. know in our history but um how how do you think about things at this point
1: um, it, it's interesting. I, I think we're going the other way, but things always correct though, too. And, and some, sometimes I, I do believe I, I like to be an optimist. So I, I think things go badly sometimes, but then a lot of people kind of understand that too, like me and you having conversations or I've had conversation. There's not, I'm not just by myself. There's other people and it's like, Oh, okay. that that makes sense. Uh, Th like I said, right now, if, if I were to look at things, this is an opinion. I, I think it'll change, but, mm-hmm. y, you know, there's all, there's always a, a silver lining some, somewhere, so. <laughs> yeah. And I guess when it comes
0: to, like, the world, our nation is more free market than many. Um, one thing I, when I ask people who are from different countries, just mm-hmm. what do they, um, What appeals to them about the United States compared to other countries is like uh, our rule of law compared to corruption in other countries um, in the government. So, I guess maybe our, um, like it seems like a free market, unregulated system might be more um, resilient to corruption than something that's heavily regulated you know, in a bigger, more controlling type of government, you
1: know? Uh, sure. The more regulations you have, the easier it is to corrupt the government. I think, uh, like I said, I referred to a, a Friedman. He was one, he was talking about it. It was, um, 18th or 19th century with, um, something with trading and piracy. And he goes, there was some type, I think it was with England. They had English. I, 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 I can't give the exact exact cause I can't remember what he goes, but the, the 20th century goes, or the 19th century opposed to the 18th century, it disappeared. And it was like, why? Well, they eliminated those, those regulations as far as the trade in certain areas. So there was no need to bribe judges or different things like that. So there was no need for corruption. They didn't have power to do anything. So mm-hmm. that's what I mean by smaller government. If they don't have the power to do that, there's no point. And you eliminate that corruption and you just let the market work on its own. You know? Yeah. You know, in our...
0: So highly connected world now with communication flowing freely and information, it seems like ideas, like the best ideas like this mm-hmm. um, would take hold, would float to the top, would, you know, even though there is like ulterior motives for, um, you know, limiting limiting competition and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you would think that, um, you know, the best ideas would win out. So hopefully they will, but,
1: They do and they don't, but here's the reason why sometimes it it doesn't. Um, It's kind of like I was telling you before there's so much information and so much going on. Nobody can be an expert in everything and and know everything. And that's why I think markets are better because you don't want somebody centralized. Uh, I think it was Isaac, I forget the accountant's name, somebody Freeman had followed, but was talking about that. And I liked his quote though because they don't know everything, even the smartest person in the world doesn't know one one thousandth of your needs or once or my needs or once or of all the individuals so it's best if we all kind of figure it out on our own and trade on our own and let them develop as opposed to somebody central making those decisions on what's going to happen uh but the reason why to kind of go back to your point why those ideas don't always get put up uh, sometimes with good intentions when you look at things um I'm trying to think of a good example. Or uh, there's not enough skin in the game. Like, uh, uh, for, for example, I think there's a, a, a one show I watched a while back. It was stosla did on like sugars and things like that. We could actually get cheaper things as far as like candy or or things like that. But it's it's not a um, uh, an elastic thing inelastic uh, like we're not worried about a, a few cents extra we pay for our m&ms or skittles or things like that but if we actually let some of the foreign competition actually come in and compete against some of these sugar farmers here but they're making a lot of money because they got regulation they got through the government to kind of bar so much trader subsidies you know to help them out so they're making more money but even though it would be better it's not really worth most people's time, me or your time to, Oh, I'm, I'm mad cause I'm paying an extra dime or, or whatever it is for to buy, you know, sugar to put in my cake or things like that. So a lot of times it's not, there's a whole bunch of little things though too. That's the reason why. And and most people don't think about that or know, but I wouldn't have known about it unless I watched that special. And there's other little things that happen all the time. And that's why, um, they don't always win through because a lot of times we don't know or recognize, or, or even when, when we're, you kind of mentioned before with regulations, a lot of things are stuffed in there in the name of state. We're like, Oh yeah, that sounds good, but we don't really see all of what's in there or some of the motivations behind it. We kind of trust a little bit more than maybe we should. Yeah. So.
0: Hmm. Um, And I guess regulation increases the size of government because you have to have people to enforce those things and everything. And um, something that kind of, I don't know if this is true, but someone was telling me, and this kind of goes counter to what you would think because, you know, with the Reagan era, uh, mm-hmm. that became, things became more conservative. But he said the size of government increased because, um, you know, like there was like a, a, a cutting down on social programs and so forth, starting mm-hmm. with him and continuing on through the other administrations. Mm-hmm. But that took more government because it. then you had to kind of like it was more um, hard to get social assistance and so forth. So it took more people to sort through things, you know, to be a part of the system to decide, well, who gets, who doesn't and so forth and things like that. You know,
1: Uh, I, I honestly can't answer that, but my answer would be usually if you're cutting bureaucracy and things like that, you're shrinking government. Now, Mm -hmm. now Reagan did try to go and in some ways I'll agree with conservatives there with the military. He was having a, uh, uh, a cold war with the the soviets and and spending on that and 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 this is where i agree a little more with conservatives against libertarians I, I do agree with spending but how i would look at it the, those and maybe i'm the libertarian in me i would still say that like gdp uh one thing that i remember them talking about was so well or, or Wal, walter williams was even talking about this at one time if you look at uh the first couple hundred years of the U S before we got to the industrial revolution and things like that. And even kind of in the industrial revolution, federal government spent like, it was like not even eight, 9% of GDP to 10% and some of the locals even less. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at it, you know, there's income taxes and things like that. And I think some of the GDP up to 30 and 40%, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers I know, but the numbers are kind of bounce around in there and things like that. They're spending more, and kind of what we are talking about, we're actually getting less for what they're doing, but that's because I think they're stepping out of the bounds of what government was supposed to do with social programs and things like that. Um, A lot of social programs kind of came out. uh, I would say it would start from, and I'm not as educated on this, but it started with... um, Oh, uh, President Woodrow Wilson, and it really grew with Franklin Roosevelt. And Franklin Roosevelt was a, a staff member on Woodrow Wilson, so you kind of see you know he was kind of mentored under him, and he mm-hmm. he kind of took a lot of those ideas and they grew him from there yeah, but usually if you 're cutting those programs down, um, well, one you have something Friedman said it 's actually good the government wastes. And what did he mean by that? I remember his explanation. He goes, "Think about this: if they actually enforced every law, which is every regulation, we'd really lose a lot of freedoms we don't think about. Because a lot of times people don't really think about it. When I say we all break laws every day, and obviously speed limit laws and things like that, everybody goes over. But there's laws we break that we don't even know. Like it was a regular, but most of the time it's not enforced because they don't have the money to you know put every person on it to try to do it. Of course, the people that have the most invested in those being forced are the ones that helped get it passed so they're, they're trying to get more money to those funds like hey we want that irs man or that place to enforce that but i would rather see them all that money invested more in policing to make sure the neighborhood's safe and things like that i don't care about you know going back to the social thing the drugs or things like that if i'm safe and they're doing whatever in their house i'm not worried about that as long as they're not the libertarian point of view uh harming me or or things like that it's not any of my business now i i i did want to hit just a little bit back because i know i'm bouncing all over on on the drug point it's not that i advocate for drugs and and for it it would be the same with smoking my mom smokes I, i hate it and all that i wish she would quit but i can't force her to do that that's her her decision to do that same thing if i don't think it's i think it's foolish but it's your choice to make that foolish decision if you choose. I mean right. morally it's it's wrong of me to try to stop you. Now, if I if somebody I care about, I believe in talking to them and try to get them to stop doing that. But force never works out in a way. You know. Right. So so your background is in um, business. Well, business administration, but I I never worked in that. I, I okay. Wound up getting the degree. Um and what you kind of asked me how I got into it was it led me into a, a, a YouTube video actually. And I've watched several of those. And then I started getting some books by Friedman and, uh, watching some stuff by Williams. I haven't read any books under Williams and Sowell yet. That's why I want to get some, but I've, I've, I've read some of the articles cause they've written articles and things like that. And I've watched a lot of their interviews and they've done, you know, different, I've learned a lot about them and it I really enjoyed it. And it just, made a lot of sense from the reason standpoint so
0: right and then the last few years you've been working as an uber lyft driver yes sir and it sounds like you're pretty um content pretty happy with with doing that huh yes
1: sir i i, I am well um i wasn't it, when i started doing that it wasn't something gonna be permanent i actually i was working um a place called sunny hill i was working with people with disabilities and things like that it it was an okay job but i wasn't making a lot and still trying to figure out and i was like i got a degree i was like what i want to do and and it was just trying to figure out when it makes ends with me my uncle had started doing uber and then left later on and he was like well why don't you try just doing this on you know see if you like it on the side or something you know i'm like just going on a friday or saturday night and see if you i was like okay so I would get off work on Saturday afternoons. I worked in South County and I would park up at the South County mall. I think I'd get off at like three in the afternoon or whatever. And I'd work maybe five or six hours or, you know, feel that. I was like, oh, I was actually starting to make pretty good money doing that. Just, I was like, well, let me try another day I get off. And then I was like, what the heck? And I started kind of jumping off and doing it full time. Cause I was like, I'm doing better at this than <laughs> working anywhere else. And, uh, it's kind of interesting because, like you've talked to people on your podcast. I meet different people every day. Now, some days people will talk more and then other days, you know, people don't, it just depends on who you get in your car and it's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't realize how much I'd be talking when I started talking to you. I was a little nervous, to be honest, coming in, but, uh, I'll get a lot of people, you know, that like to talk kind of like I'm doing them themselves. And if you ask them questions and, uh, uh lieutenant when I was in the army, I remember talking to him and he goes, if you ask one of the things I learned from me, he goes, just ask somebody about what their livelihood is. And people love talking about that. That's their, mm-hmm. you know, they'll tell you everything about it, whether they're a carpenter or whatever, they can tell you things that, you know, that's, you know, their life. So, <laughs>
0: Right. Um, And then is it like people running around locally or are you going to the airport a lot and that type of thing?
1: It's a mix. Uh, I've been to the airport a bunch of different times, but then there's times I'm not at the airport as much as I dropped uh, a couple off to the airport last night, but uh, sometimes it's, I'll get a lot of local and then obviously depending on when you work and if you're getting people on the weekends, yeah, you're taking people out to bars and then, uh, but I've taken people, I've met different interesting people. I've met people from lawyers. I met uh, a gentleman that worked for uh, the defense department I uh, met uh, one lady at worked for the Federal Reserve. I met a lady at worked for Homeland Security. So a few years back, she was from Chicago. I just kind of remember because the conversations I've had. I've met lawyers, doctors, students, college kids, um, I mean, just people of different backgrounds if you talk to them and you kind of learn that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to some of the people you talk I was like, wow, I, I didn't know that, you know you know some of the people that you have in the vehicle like wow that's kind of a neat you know profession or you know yeah. things like that so
0: it's kind of interesting how the internet has created new industries kind of like uber lyft and a lot of others like i do airbnb and that's you oh, yeah. know made a- yeah. available through the internet and uh, there was a guy who's on a podcast not long ago and he has like a a doctor degree and um, something like ancient greek and rome classic literature and stuff like that oh wow in fact he uh taught with um a fellow named john watton who wrote one of those uh, books right over there and um and but he's going through um a uh a course in st louis area called launch code that helps people learn how to do computer coding okay because um things had changed and it just wasn't working out for him. So what's kind of like interesting is here's this guy, he's like a doctorate in this, you know, in this really sophisticated, he's super highly educated Uh and, and he's doing this. He's at the same place any teenager could be if they wanted to, as far as like getting involved and learning computer programming, you know? Um, So it's just kind of interesting how, you know, like you're, um, you're educated for business and so forth and you're doing something kind of totally different totally that anybody could just jump in and do. And it's working out for you and same thing.
1: Well, and I'm going to be honest, like when I went to school, um, if I had to go back in school, it's not, I think education is important, but college isn't necessarily important. If that makes sense. Okay. People go, um, Sometimes it's really a waste of money. I mean, most of what I've learned, yeah, I learned some things from college and things like that, but for the money, I, I think real life experiences is, is probably more. i give you one good example. My mom helped me through college. She doesn't have a college education, but she, was, uh, she worked for years. Uh, she did um, payroll, accounting, and uh, HR services. Some of my classes dealt with things like that, and she could help me through things like that. And I still remember one story though, it's not to put anybody down, but my mom was working for this, this lady they hired on, you know, my mom knew what she was making and all that, but she had a master's degree, the lady they hired on. And my mom went on vacation and the, I won't even put her on it. She called my mom. She was in tears because she had messed up really bad on the payroll, with the, you know things like that. My mom had to come in and fix everything, even though she had this. But my mom had all that experience, knew everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm not disvaluing education or things like that, but education comes in different ways. My mom, my mother, I look at, she had that education through all that experience and doing all that. So I, Think people like that, not just because she's my mom, but even other people have probably more value than people, even with doctorates at times. Especially Mm -hmm. if they've been in that field, I'm going to trust that person. Mm -hmm. Well, and I remember you talking when I listened to Liam. You could probably relate. Thank you for your service, by the way. I know you're in the Navy, but I'm what's the Navy's uh, second lieutenant as an ensign or something like that? I know. Oh, (laughs) okay,
0: but I would say enlisted men. I'm not for sure. uh,
1: Okay, but. When you're in the Navy, I'm sure you probably came across this. The higher enlisted, uh, like an E7 or an E8 or whatever, or even an E6, probably knew more than the lower officers, the junior officers. I'm sure on that experience,
0: I, I probably so. There was like separation between officers and enlisted men. Like I was in a squadron, so they were the pilots, and we were the maintenance, and okay. um, so there um, wasn't a whole lot of mixture you know, okay. but, but I, I bet you're right as far as like, because of the experience and so forth, you know?
1: Sure. Well, like uh, my experience in the army and I did have good officers. I'm not going to say I want to put, but sometimes, uh, I would see with the NCOs when they're talking, you know, that NCO, especially a platoon sergeant, using E7, I was an artilleryman. Uh, I remember, uh, uh, smoke, um, we call them a smoke. Um, not good water, but, uh, Smoke Butler, he'd been in almost twenty years, so he, it's just like yeah. Even the, they would just refer to him. You know, I mean, he pretty much gave the the briefings and all that. It's not that I wouldn't listen to the officer, but mm-hmm. I would look to the NCOs because that that experience was there. I mean, right. you know, and the officers obviously are educated, but you know the difference. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. it's so. Um, so what else?
0: Are you all about and so forth, like um, are you religious what 's your philosophy of life what um, just how do you see all of that type of stuff
1: um, i'm i 'm christian i don 't belong to a church right now i I, I, f- I feel bad about that because like uh, I, I actually went to um, a Baptist college and that 's actually kind of what one of the things that kind of helped me along, I went to Missouri Baptist College. That's where I got my my bachelor's degree. And I had to take New Testament and Old Testament history. And um, I had really great professors. And that really kind of opened my eyes. Also, I got to give credit, when I was in the Army, I had uh, one lieutenant, Lieutenant Vineyard, uh, very sharp guy. He was actually not far from here. He was from over in Illinois. He was a West Point graduate. But he was actually very... Uh, well, I don't like to use the word religious cause, but, but he was Christian and, uh, I haven't been on there in a long time. I got rid right of my Facebook and all that, but I had been friends with him. He stayed in last I saw he was a major and he became a chaplain and it didn't surprise me. Uh, he was very sharp, a really good man. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were kind of some of my kind of leading me that way. Um, I'm not a theologian or anything like that. I have read some scriptures and I, I do like to, to get into that, but I'm not uh, by any means, like uh, if somebody were to come to me for religious, count, I would prefer them to somebody else. and be like, look, this is what I like. The, the way I understand as being a Christian, and this to me goes, to the heart is no matter what you is, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and take him into your heart. And that's what makes you, whether you go to church or not, it helps to go to church, so I do think that that fellowship is a good thing. That's why I feel bad I haven't been to church, but I, I do believe, you know, that. So no matter what you are, whether you're—my personal belief, whether you're Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal, Luther, you know, that's—I think that's the one belief that holds them them all together,
0: so. Right. Do you remember names of any of your college professors who taught um, New Testament or Old Testament?
1: Yeah, um, I haven't talked to him in so long. I feel bad. Uh, one was Jerry, uh Jerry, Jeremy Jessen. Okay. Um, he uh, he did have a church over there because I'd been to it at, at that time. I don't think he lives in Missouri anymore though, and I felt bad when I finally looked up. I want to say he went to Kentucky, and the other one was. Um, And I think he's still here. He's actually a head pastor, and I haven't seen him in years. But over at the Baptist Church, it's off-telegraph there in Arnold. Scott Lee? Scott Lee, yes. Yes, sir. He's been on the
0: podcast. He's my pastor.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, he was—I want to say he taught me New Testament, and it was years ago, and he was one influence. And and I feel bad I haven't seen him in years, but yeah, he was— uh, him and Jeremy Jessman were definitely opened my eyes when I was right. in classes. It was even though it was a class, it actually kind of got me thinking and, and reading. And I still go back and not that anybody can see this, but like even I, I still go through on my my phone. I have, uh, oops, I, I go through and I'll, I'll I'll read every once in a while and yeah. I feel bad because I probably should have included that in my ten pages of reading, but I'm trying to get other knowledge, <laughs> knowledge in as well, but. Well, that's why I was wondering because I, um,
0: I don't know if he still does, but I remember, you know, Pastor Scott was teaching and stuff like that. So, well, yeah. that's really interesting. He's a good teacher. I he, appreciate him. He
1: was. I, I I liked him a lot. So, uh, and I, I'd been to his church too. That's that's why I, I remembered it. Okay. So, and I th- I thought about going, but I just I don't know anybody there now because it's been you know a long time. So. Yeah, well, I'm
0: there. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so you know someone now.
1: I may may go up there then, so what time do you guys have it on sundays like? um
0: well, the church service is at like um, ten forty around ten forty or okay. ten forty five um there's like a bible class that starts around nine thirty before that you know
1: oh okay, so yeah. on sundays right on sunday mornings okay. yeah i may uh, I may have to have to have you hold me accountable or something to have <laughs> me go up there so and then there's um and then Scott is
0: normally the one who, you know, teaches, preaches there during the service. And then there, we meet in homes during the week. A lot of times, um, it's on Wednesday, maybe Thursday. Okay. So there's a home in this subdivision and it's not every week, but it's like every other week now and then. Okay. Um, and we, um, we meet and it's kind of more intimate, you know, it's nice, but there's various homes throughout the community, that, um, um, that, that takes place and that's kind of where you get to know people and stuff. So it's pretty good.
1: And I was going to say I've done uh Bible studies in the past. I'm trying to remember. I don't think I did it with the, my um my brother-in-law's brother. He was involved with um the crossing. Actually, okay. he's he's born again neck and me and him talk, I haven't seen him in a while though. Uh he had gotten married and they've got uh a bunch of kids. Now he's still involved in his church there though, but okay. Um, you said born again, Nick? Yeah. Uh, Nick Littner is his Nick. name.
0: Okay. So. Um, so, and also this is something I did and finished. I want to start it up again. So there, mm-hmm. and my brother first told me about this. There's these groups in St. Louis that, um, it's normally like four people and they meet weekly and they go through this particular book called Discipleship Essentials. So it's just kind of like a basic book, mm-hmm. um, And, but the thing about it, the book just gives structure to their time together. But the group of four, you know, they, um, time, does something as far as relationships, you know, just meeting with the same people, praying with them week after week when it's a group of four where you're face to face rather than in in a congregation, you know? And so I, I wanted to do that, but I didn't want to go into the city and join one of those groups. I just asked people around here and like, and we ended up meeting at my neighbor's house right across the street. And, um, and I, one guy was Roman Catholic. He's Lutheran. I go to a Baptist church Mm -hmm. and, um, it was really good. We uh, we were kind of slow, so it took us two and a half years to get through the book. And then we broke up. And the idea is when you break up, um, then each person finds mm-hmm. three more people, and the group multiplies. Then you got, you know, four groups where you just hit one, and then those groups go through the same book. For a certain period of time, and then they break up? They break up and multiply. Okay. So this has been going on in the St. Louis area, and it's kind of like a thing, you know, it's really growing and stuff. Mm-hmm. And... um I enjoyed it. I want to do it again. So, um, anyway, I'm just putting that out there to anyone who's interested, uh, contact me if you're interested in getting part of a little group like that.
1: <laughs> well, you got me on board if you, okay. If you know, okay. I'll um, but you like know. I said, I'm, um, uh, I'm not, a I'm, I'm always, uh, I like to, even though I'm chatting here on stuff like that, I'm a little more reserved and quiet just because I'm a little afraid to put my voice in. Cause I don't, uh, I, I can't speak with, I don't want to say authority, because I don't want to say I'm speaking of authority. I don't want to overstep myself on things that I don't understand. Yeah. Right. And it's not so much like, um,
0: you know, teaching. It's more of just sharing one's own experience and thoughts and, and stuff and just struggling through things together.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so when it comes to Jesus, the the thing that kind of unites everyone together that makes Christian what it is, Mm-hmm. Is there anything in particular that gives you confidence about Jesus as someone um, that it's really just what it's all about? Like, um, so right now I'm reading through the Gospel according to John. Okay, and the thing that's I'm I'm being struck by is how it's always ab- about Jesus. You know, the word "believe" is used so much in there. Like, um, you know, it's all about believing in him, receiving his word about who he is and so forth. And um, and in some of the other gospel accounts, um, there's commandments, like Jesus gives commandments about like the golden rule or, you know, do this, don't do that and so forth. And here in in John, that's absent. It's all just about him. It's just, um, you know, even the people even come to him at one point and say, you know, what must we be doing to be doing the work of God, the work we God requires. And he says, this is the work. Believe the one, believe on the one whom he has sent. So he's talking about himself, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just all points to him. So, um, strongly is, you know, so like for you, um, what gives you confidence that it is all about Jesus, uh, as opposed to, well, that's your culture. So that's how you feel. Um, and if and it's just a temporal cultural thing um, rather than like this is what the universe is all about
1: well i I don't know as much about what I remember, and I actually have to think back of what, even though it's been years, what um I actually learned in school. Uh, you had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was my favorite at the time, and the reason why I remember Luke was a physician, and I guess that's kind of why I think about economics, and I like Milton Friedman and Thomas Hull and all of them. He gathered a lot of empirical evidence and things like that, and he was asking questions. And and like you said, they were gathering the rules and things like that, but he was asking a lot of questions, and I don't want to go a lot into it because I don't remember all the gospel with Luke and all that. John, if I remember correctly, his was more spiritual than the other three and even um Scott Lee his favorite if I remember correctly, what he told me his favorite was Mark and he described Mark is like a teenager all excited and things like that that had always stuck with me and, and I did kind of like that I was like yeah that's kind of what I was like though too but but with Luke it was the empirical evidence things like that this happened you know it's not necessarily in, in stone but it, you know, it was there. Uh, Lou, um, but I want to make sure I'm addressing your question. What gives me confidence in Jesus
0: that it's really all about him and, uh, and he's everything that he, that the Bible says he is.
1: Well, I guess that's, that's what I'm kind of describing as I know he's existing. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good question. You're making me really kind of think on that because I hadn't really thought about it. I do believe. So if I had to think that, I guess if somebody were to challenge me on, on the confidence and things like, besides just riding along, walking on a wire, things like that, I would have to say, if I'm looking at the stories with Jesus, I don't think he he ever let anyone down. And I don't mean like it, you know, showing up or things like that. I trying to find the way to express everything was truth. Um, I, maybe I'm examining this in an empirical way. Uh, he he was always, um, uh, like his parables and things like that, when you when he was talking about his para- parables, there it was really ingenious. Like one thing that stuck with me, and I'm trying to stay on subject, but go a little off was when he said... Um, you know, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, but if you teach him how to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Um you can think about that's a good philosophy even then today when you're you're thinking about things instead of giving away and social prayers and things like that, but to go back on it I don't want to wiggle out of this answer or give you a, a dash on it. I, I I'm I'm not really sure. I mean I do I said believe what what gives me confidence, I guess. I might have to duck out on you on that. I'm not sure I can give you a, a a good answer. I do believe in it, and and I don't want to just kind of give you something on the fly that's wrong. So, or not that it's wrong, but mm-hmm. something I'm not sure of. Uh, l- let me turn it around a little bit. What gives you confidence yeah. in Jesus? Out of curiosity,
0: um, for me. It's kind of a mysterious thing, Jesus. Um, It's like he's not someone you can ignore because like just from a historical standpoint. um, Well, first of all, it's like all that he claims to be, which basically in the book of John, it's like he's with God. He was God. All things were created through him. He's the son of God. He's from God. Um He gives eternal life. I mean these are just amazing things where you would think is that almost seems like too amazing to really believe and I think it's um uh it's but then again there's that sense in me which I do believe um but um there's also so there's first of all there's this amazing thing like. That almost seems unbelievable. But then on the other hand, there's a historical thing where how can you explain... Um, that
1: empirical evidence that showed that it happened.
0: Right. How can you explain um, uh, you know, everything that took place if he didn't die and, and have a resurrection? Like um, thousands of people who follow him, um, the way that the world was changed. And then there's also just the reality of conversion you know like people's lives really are changed and so i i bear witness to that in my life and then i hear other people's stories and so he's it's like jesus isn't someone to uh, that can be ignored and it's also on the other side like what do you make of him it's not like a black and white type of thing but like what gives me confidence in him um I don't know it's more like I'm just amazed by him, and uh he's just got my attention um and I enjoy him like I enjoy just considering this is everything this is God's grace and God drawing near to me, drawing near to humanity, and it's beyond what I can grasp, but um it's just unignorable. You know, it's not, Jesus isn't someone who I can, it's not possible for me to just say, well, he doesn't matter and just go on with my life. Mm -hmm. So that's the way it feels more like to me. It's not so much, um, I can give like one, two, three, this is why you have confidence in Jesus. It's more of just a mysterious thing that's got my attention. And, um, I like it. um, I don't know fully what to make of it. I wrestle with it, um, and it's just captivated by it. I sometimes don't know what to do with it. All you know, so it's kind of like a not a very straightforward answer. But I guess that's how I would respond.
1: No, actually, when you were kind of telling me that, I was thinking and almost had the urge to talk. And I was like, I I wanted to hear everything you're saying. I just didn't want to interrupt. I always think of it when you ask me that question what I'm saying but like if somebody said cuz you've heard those arguments in the past well how do you know Jesus was God or didn't exist like well there is enough like I said when I went through the classes that's really what made me believe mm-hmm. um and not to go into all that cuz but if that evidence is there to to me that it, it's real i mean he, he's he's a person so i wasn't thinking about what you you said what gives me confidence in him i guess i w- i'd always thought about most people defending uh, he he re- was a real person you can't it, it's undeniable just right. like if i was giving you uh if we were talking about economic you know i'm, I'm looking for that end result well this is what ha- there's the there's the evidence right there don't you can't tell me my mind is telling me, like you're telling me, the glasses aren't there or sitting in front of me. I'm like, no, it, it's right there. I, it, right. You know, there was enough there that I saw and understood and learning that no, he exists. But I think you kind of hit when you were talking uh, more into John, you got more into the spiritual sense as opposed to where I was thinking the physical sense and the witnesses and the testimony, where John goes more into the, the spirit. Then I think it was, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, you know, the breath of God. And the, I don't want to quote, cause I don't, am not very good at scripture, but he could talk, you know, he got more into that where that's probably, it's a fair statement, which you may have been asking me, which I hadn't put as much thought into like you, where you're getting your confidence. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going down the right lane. <laughs> hmm. Okay. But, yeah. Um.
0: And there's kind of, I think there's kind of a difference between um, just intellectual assent, saying, well, that must be true, it makes sense, and so forth. And then, like, the, the word belief. Like, one, you could almost, you can use the word think or believe, like you can see evidence and say, well, I think that is true. And then sometimes if we use the word believe, it's almost like, well, that means a little something more. It means like I got skin in the game, like I'm kind of getting on board and it's going to impact my life. Um, And um, I was just thinking, because that word believe is used so often in John. um, And I was just thinking about, you know, I was just using the word believe earlier today and realizing, well, I could say think, but believe sounds like a more um, uh, appropriate word. And I thought, why is that? I thought, because believe is the word you use when you're like putting your trust in something that's going to impact your life, okay. like I think I was thinking, now what's important in life? And like one of the things that's important, um, I think as humans, it's important for us to be connected with one another because we're created as social people. Mm-hmm. So um, as I'm writing in my journal, I say, I believe that, the, you know, it's important to be. So why didn't I use the word think? It's because like believe means that's going to be kind of like my philosophy of life that's i'm going to be getting on board and that's going to make a difference to my life so that's how we use the word believe sometimes maybe like,
1: more of a commitment when you believe is that a good right. word to throw yeah. in yeah yeah i
0: think so yeah
1: where or, or think is you might have some doubt with it but it seems i i don't know i'm just kind yeah. of i'm following you cuz what right. you're saying and it's kind of interesting yeah. but yeah look up the difference between, I might actually do that. Sometimes I do that. I'll break down words just out of curiosity. Well, that's, right. But, but that's, that is interesting. If, if you, Well, and, and think about this though too. You were saying, believe you, you turn to, I believe this, you know, because of that. But if you say thanks, sometimes uh, you might give somebody an answer. Well, I think that's right, but let me go check. So that means you might not have a, a complete confidence in it. You, th- you know, so right. That's a good way. But,
0: but believing, you might not know for sure. It might be a matter of faith too.
1: Well, you got to like, put faith, but you're gonna yeah. go with
0: it. Worth. You're gonna go with it, though. Yeah. Or think right. it's
1: like, mm, let me check. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't. I'm just <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, like if you're thinking of getting married, you might say, "I think you would make a good wife for me." That's a little different than, I believe, that um, you're the one for me. Like one kind of implies with it we're going somewhere with it. The other is like, well, intellectually <laughs> you check off the boxes, maybe I'll go there or maybe I won't. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Something I, along those lines. W- but
1: I might be or we might be overanalyzing it together there. But yeah, it, it is kind of interesting when you I mean, use the word think about it. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh kind of put that together. Yeah. Believe or think. And yeah, I mean what um
0: so What uh, do you feel like you've learned in life as far as, like, is there anything that um, governs your life as far as, like, a principle or something um, uh, that you keep in mind that helps you when you're making decisions or um, anything like that that you've kind of adopted through life and that's become a part of, you know, your way of going forward, so to speak?
1: Well, I think we all develop and change as we go and I'm still doing it no matter what age you are. But, uh, w- one thing that I'm really th- believe now, uh, I use that word since we are just coming yeah. on is you can't make excuses on things, whether it's, you're going to learn something, or if you're going to get in shape or work out, uh, whatever it is, if you say, um, well, I ain't got time to go to the gym or things like that. Well, you're, it's because, you know, I got this work or the, it's, 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 it's on you. I mean, it's, you have to figure out nobody's going to do that for you or I don't, I, you know, my neighbor's got a better house cause he got this. I have to go, well, it, it, it's your excuses that the reason why you don't have to go there, your goals. Um, so if I'm going to do things, I, I one thing is, uh, I, I really look at is I don't, um, uh, and we all do from time to time. I'll still be like, "Oh, I didn't," you know. But then I, if I go back and be honest with myself, that's what I tell people. Or if you think about, it, like, this didn't happen because of this, and then I'm like, I got to stop and like, let's be honest with myself. It didn't happen because I didn't make this happen. I should have done time management better. I should have tried this, you know, whatever it is. I just didn't put the right effort in. Or, and I don't mean it. Might not have got done, you know you know, all right, I need to come back with a new game plan to do okay, this is gonna happen, you know, or, you know, whatever right. it is. So hmm. it's kinda like um, the reason I'm doing that, you're asking me how much water to drink and all that in the beginning. Uh I put myself on a on a program and I stick to it and it's a way to uh hold myself accountable. It's kind of like when I was telling you and you're saying, Well you're going to church and I was like, Okay, uh now I know somebody there, I may go but it's um I'd feel this, even though it's not like you'd come to my apartment or something with a gun in my head, but I'd feel disappointed. Or, you know, if, if you invited me or if I didn't show up to your, your pie and I said, I'd be there, I feel mm-hmm. like it's accountability. Um, we, we kind of do that with each other and obviously deal with a job or something like that, you get fired, but with your family members or friends, it's not that you, you know, you get fired, but they would let you down you know. they kind of hold you accountable in those ways but you got to really do it with yourself as well mm-hmm. um, otherwise you're not going to have those friends or job, or whatever you're doing or those goals or you're you got a very nice house here things like that but you're the one that that did that you you know do you have any
0: routines that are meaningful to you things you do either daily weekly or whatever that um really add to your life or
1: um are you asking me physically, spiritual, or general, or just because <laughs> everything's uh, in, in general? Like I said, uh, the seventy-five r but that's not a permanent. But it helps me develop uh, doing things like that. It it changes your routine. Like like one thing I I, I like is I, I do like fitness a lot. That's why you know I, I know people at the gym and things like that. Your lifestyle and things like that uh, to be able to be fit or stay fit or or do whatever you have to develop. And it's not like people think like, Oh, I'm going to do this diet. And that's why they call them fad diets. I'm gonna lose weight. And some people do, but then they gain it back because they can't maintain it because well, I went back to doing what I did before. And it's like, no, you can't do that. This is, that's why I don't even like to use the word diet. You're changing your plan to do something different. Like right now my plan's a little more strict with the 75 hard what I was telling you. But when I finish with that, I'll probably still kind of still do the same thing. Only difference is is I'm not gonna worry about if I uh like the holidays, like obviously like Thanksgiving or Christmas I didn't uh eat the pies or things like that. If I'm not on our program, I would probably do something like, but it's not a normal thing i don't do it all the time like you know it's not a big deal to do that from time to time but uh the reason why a lot of people don't realize this um i i spent a lot of time with my parents we play uh, yahtzee a lot it's kind oh, of yeah yeah and um it's funny i notice I'll, I'll be over there and 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 i'm not going against my mom's cooking because she sometimes get a little offended like you like i cook i'm like i'm not saying it's not unhealthier things but they'll eat and i've noticed when they're sitting there eating we'll we'll be playing yahtzee they get done eating and my mom be like oh you know she'll pull out thing they got candy there and they're sitting eating that and then like one night i was watching my dad he he ate a sandwich then he was eating candy and chips and then he ate like a bowl of chips and i'm not knocking (laughs) them he didn't even realize i think what he was doing mm-hmm. but he was just in those habits and you know it's things like that people do that and they don't realize that they're even doing that cuz they've gotten right. so used to that right where i'm just like you know no and i'm not you know i'm i'm not telling people not to do you know eat can or, or chips or things like that but they become such a lifestyle that that's like oh you know. right. I'm like no you can't do that on a normal basis though all the time you know it's i've heard someone
0: advocate like mindfully eating because sometimes it is a habit i guess this could be with maybe any habit like well, if you're going to eat, just think about what, what you're doing and why you're doing it. Like, are you really enjoying it? Maybe you are some, but maybe you're just doing it out of habit, you know?
1: <laughs> well, one thing, you're right. People will. They'll just be sitting there. And, and I've, I've been guilty of it in the past, though, too. Just like, I'm not even hungry. I'm like, I'm, what am I doing in the kitchen? I'm just going through finding snacks. Mm-hmm. But I a lot of times now, and it's different for everybody. So like, I understand, like I was telling one guy's like, uh, Maruber, and he's like, well, how did you do that? I was like, well, I, I prep my meals, which is good. And I said, it might be a little harder if you've got a family, because some of my diet is a little bland. Now, if you got kids, you don't necessarily, it's good to keep them on a healthy diet, lifestyle too, but you do want to kind of mix that. And, and I think there's ways to do it, but I'm not a nutritionist. And that's why I said, not every plan fits for everybody, So, Mm -hmm. you know, you do got to figure out things on your own to help them and things like that. But yeah, sometimes mindful of your eating and things like that. That was a good point that you said. I I am mindful of what I'm eating, how how I'm putting it in my body and things like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, but one of the biggest things, obviously people look at it aesthetically and I'm not trying to sound vain or anything like that, but, you, you do like the way you look and things like that. But one of the things that actually, once I got the way I like looking aesthetically, the feeling, like I have more energy. I'm 42 now. Um I feel better now than I was in even my early 20s. Mm. And it wasn't that I was in terrible shape at that time, but I've just, the, the way I, I do my diet and my exercise, I, I know a lot more on, on how to do it. My energy levels are just like, most of the time through the roof. I, I rarely i I haven't felt lethargic and i know what lethargy feels like in in a long time i mean mm-hmm. it's 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 amazing it's 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 changed a lot you know to get away i was like wow i i remember that- um one good example and like i said I'm not a nutritionist or things like that but sugar um i remember um i had cut sh- sugar down to nothing for so long and it it was hard for a while I felt really lethargic and all that but after a I don't know, three or four weeks, I started noticing my energy levels coming back and even better. Like, yeah, sugar will give you a quick high and things like that. But when I didn't have that sugar for so long, I was like, not only did I have those energy, but I kept them longer than I was even if I was on sugar or things like that. I was like, this is great. I kind of got addicted to that feeling. So, right. yeah, but it's good. Yeah.
0: So um you mentioned 75 heart now. Is like the five minute cold shower still a part of that?
1: That's a phase. Um, I'm just doing the um, the first part of the 75 hard. I think uh, those are challenges. Like um, I don't know as much. Like Liam would be a good person to talk to. or Matt, they both did it, and actually that's the reason why I'm doing 75 hard. I talked to those guys. Um, I actually got in shape last year, and and your viewers can't see it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna show you something on my phone that I'd kept these pictures. This was before 75 hard, but 75 hard would help as well. But I did something similar to 75 hard. The thing I like about 75 hard though, is there's a couple things. There's the 10 pages of reading I didn't have. And I was like, I didn't realize till I started doing this. It's kind of nice to balance. Not that I didn't read before, but I, I read a lot more. But this was me August of last year. And I took pictures a, a month by month. I would gotten really out of shape. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and i will kind to go through obviously your viewers can't see it
0: right wow that's over
1: what period of time that was okay that first picture was august 31st of last year that that last picture there um probably by january february that one might have even been march mm-hmm. uh, more recent stuff like i'll show you not to go through the whole thing the 75 hard cuz you have to take oops you have to take a progr- progressive pick so you notice you won't obviously notice a one day but like 75 hard there's day one Mm -hmm. obviously that's not terrible but i was kind of starting to fall off that's why i started to do 75 hard again that's day one well the most recent one well i'm not done with the day we don't see it but that's yesterday morning Hmm. it's 37 days into it right it's just little but you start to notice over time the little changes in, in your body but uh the biggest is how you feel now. The seventy-five hard, because I started getting my energy levels back probably within two weeks. I think Matt said it took him thirty days. It's different. I wasn't completely out of shape when I started doing seventy-five hard again. I was just like starting to get out, and I knew it. The things I like with seventy-five hard were the ten pages of reading. And it kept me, even though I kept myself accountable mentally, last year I downloaded the app like Matt had told me because I was like, oh, this is kind of cool because not only is it thinking about I'm like, boop, 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 I'm, I've got the checklist right there. I'm like, okay, I have did that, 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 that. Like if you look at today, today is pretty much done, but I won't mark it until I've done, oops, let me go into the the other two things, which is, Until this is gone, because I've got one more, which is drinking that gallon of water Mm -hmm. and uh, having my my meals. Mm -hmm. So, and I I usually don't finish it off at night when I do the last, because I know I'm gonna have that last protein shake because I'm usually hungry by then. I'm gonna (laughs) drink, but after I get that first one in, I have my other meal prep for the day. I'll go ahead and mark off that list because I know I'm gonna do it. So, right. But it's a it's a way to uh, keep myself accountable. Like I did it last year because, but now it really keeps me focused and I look at the pictures though too, that helps. But then I also think about the first thing I do in the morning, this helps me. I have two alarm clocks set up, so I have to get up and as soon as I set, I shut the other one off, I'm awake. I grab my book and I sit down and I read the 10 pages hmm. and I do the two easiest things first I do because it's, it's like uh, getting up to get, get, get yourself moving in the morning uh, there was an admiral I remember watching. He goes, get up and make your bed. He goes, cause you've accomplished something. I'm not a bed maker. <laughs> I'm just like, whatever. But to me, I do feel like I have accomplished something. I, I get up, I read those 10 pages, even though it doesn't seem like, and I take that, that picture and then I'll, I'll drink my juice or whatever in the morning. But I've already done two things on that checklist within first half hour of being awake. Mm-hmm. So,
0: right. So, um, and the book you're reading now, what's the title of it?
1: Um, Relentless. It's by Tim Grover. Okay. Um, he was a, uh, uh, or is a, a trainer. He trained people like um, uh, like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. I think he's done football and baseball players. And he's given examples in the book. And it's kind of hard to go into description of uh, what it's about. He's more talking of there was three big things he was talking about, which was called a, a cooler, a, uh, uh what was it a uh, cooler closer and cleaner i wanted to make sure i get them and it's what each one has inside and he was the best examples i could think of so far what i've read the book I'm about halfway through the book was um a cooler is if you're watching a game or whatever he's somebody that's not used to the pressure or things like that but he's got great he's a great athlete great physical ability but he's with the game on the line he doesn't necessarily want the spotlight on him because of what can happen a cleaner does like the uh spotlight and and things like that but he only performs um i guess kind of when the game was on the line to an extent where uh and he doesn't, he will blame other people if things go wrong. And a cleaner is, it can be in any professional and you find all three of them. He was kind of talking about cleaner doesn't care what he's going to basically, this is his philosophy. I'm just going through what he's describing in the book. Uh, he will, you know, whether the game's on the line or not, he keeps that same pressure on them the whole time. And he doesn't make excuses. Um, and if he makes a mistake, he owns up to it. He's just honest. Yep. I messed up. And that part, I kind of, even like just like with yourself I respect even somebody let's say if it's somebody that's an expert at something and they say I screwed up I I'll, I'll actually go to trust them more if they're wrong and they admit they're wrong but you, I think we've all came across those individuals it's one of the things as a human it's hard to admit when you're wrong but if you do that you know that's it's honesty you know I mean right. yeah
0: <laughs> any books have made a big impact on your life
1: um well, uh, ones by Milton Friedman. Uh, right. There was two. Uh, one of the, and I'd like to say the Bible, but it was more of the people that you were asking about, like Scott Lee, Jeremy Jessen, Lieutenant Vineyard, uh, some of the individual that I've come across. Another one, uh, 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 Chaplain Grocer. When I was in the army, I remember him. It's been years since uh, you know thinking about those. But uh, books by Milton Friedman was one was called Free to Choose. Uh, okay. That was the very first book I read by him. Is an awesome book. Another book. Um, by him that i had read uh i'm trying to remember the title it was uh capitalism it's not capitalism versus socialism but capitalism in a free society or something like i I can't remember the title offhand i mean he's written several books but i'd like to read more on him but those were probably uh two that really when i read them and a lot of the another thing though too that helped me tie in with those books that helped me because uh like I love free to choose, but there was things like, number one, I told you about the four ways to spend money. Uh-huh. That was actually in the book free to choose. Sometimes I don't, we're all different. I'm a visual learner or sometimes a better listener. I read it in the book and it didn't click for whatever reason, I guess reading it. But I also listened to him when he was talking about it on YouTube, somebody had done an interview, it seemed to click more. And I had kind of that reinforcement and I was like, Oh, okay. And he explained it. And I think he did in the book but maybe i just i I don't know why i just got it more listening to them than reading it but some things and sometimes that's why i'm I'm glad to actually hear them too when they do those interviews and they talk on the books and things like that And it's like oh okay that makes you know yeah i mean it's
0: exciting and good to be growing and understanding and progressing and stuff like that like it sounds like you're actively doing
1: well think about this though too and we all do this what you were just talking about bible study and things like that if i were to sit down i, I do have a little bit better of understanding from going to school and, and listening to some of those people but i remember years back uh if i opened a bible i'm like the thou he you know is an old english or things like that or the king james you know, i'm like okay <laughs> but when you have uh Theologians are people that can actually break it down and explain it. Scott Lee and Jeremy Jessen did a really good job of doing that in class and and um, kind of breaking down, you know, the culture then, what was happening, uh, understanding. Um, the, the text in the Bible, as opposed to just kind of reading it. Sometimes it does, or when you guys get together, how it means in your life, or or how they go through, or the different characters in the Bible and, and what happened. Like um, uh, one that, to break it down real simply, uh, what was it? Uh, Job, the book of Job. Mm-hmm. When they talk about Job and how, uh, like, Satan had to get permission. To you know talk to god to do the harm on job but he goes i bet you know he would uh, fall off was it I may not do it, fall off faith if uh you know you've given him everything you got god says well he goes let me do this and he go okay you can do this but you can't kill you know things like that well first what was it uh took his it took took his children away then his wife he lost his wealth he was boils and sores on his body yet he was still grateful to, to God and it just showed you how much faith like an average person do you most people like oh my god you know the world has fallen I lost my farm or, or my car was wrecked you know something bigger but think about all what this man went through in that book but <laughs> we on a whim and we're all guilty I mean I I'm like well, you know I'm just you know but you got to kind of think get out of that moment and think past it but he was thankful that whole time if you think about the story and I'm like I said I'm not that's what I took out of that story when I mm-hmm. I was just like wow I don't know if I could do that that was that was amazing yeah. you know I mean
0: well is there anything else before we wrap up
1: no no I and I sorry if I overtalked on so I No <laughs> no you were a good guest uh, okay so,
0: thanks for being a guest I appreciate it Jason well, I appreciate you having me
1: well thank you <laughs>